0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So programming note or update or something along those lines in the wee hours of the night after i planned and recorded this episode after 14 failed attempts, kevin mccarthy the subject of this podcast episode was in fact able to cobble together enough votes to barely edge into the position of speaker of the house it was a truly sad pathetic and embarrassing affair which will almost certainly turn out to be actually the least sad pathetic and embarrassing affair of his entire speakership Basically, everything I discuss in the rest of this episode is still, in fact, relevant, if not more so, now that its subject has actually managed to obtain the speakership. So, this episode is definitely worth your time, except for the part where I discuss what could happen if McCarthy didn't manage to get the speakership. Though, hell, there's actually a pretty decent chance his coalition will fall apart at any minute anyway, in which case, who knows. In any case, uh, yeah, just thought it was my duty to say, in case anybody listening had not already heard, that the soulless shell of a human being that this episode discusses has, at least for now, achieved his lifelong ambition of becoming Speaker of the House. Okay. Two years ago, on January 6, 2020, 2021, the US Capitol, the seat of popular representation in the United States, the single most famous symbol of democracy in the world, was thrown into chaos because a too big chunk of today's Republican Party has gone completely insane. It was one of the darkest days in American history, yet another symptom of a profound rot at the heart of one of our two major political parties, even after an armed mob of traitorous lunatic Trump supporting Fox News adult troglodytes had broken into the Capitol, smeared their own shit onto the walls of the temple of American democracy, and murdered a Capitol police officer hundreds of profoundly unpatriotic party over country, Republican members of Congress still voted to not certify the results of the 2020 election. They did this on a basis that I think the vast majority of them knew to be a lie, that the 2020 election had in some way been stolen. Something, something, bamboo ballots, Chinese, transgender, Italian, Jewish, space lasers, dead black people voting, hashtag stop the steal, or whatever. Two years later today, on January six, two 2023, chaos is again playing out in the Capitol, yet again as a result of actions taken by a decent number of the craziest fringe of the Republican Party, and yet again with a man named Kevin McCarthy heavily involved. Only this time, it's hilarious. So with that being the case, I decided to step away from my vacation for a minute, self-sacrifice people, am I right? Uh, to put together this brief episode to tell anyone in my audience who doesn't already know who kevin mccarthy is and why you're suddenly hearing his name a whole bunch and why everybody's kind of laughing at him kevin mccarthy was elected to congress as a republican representing one of the few republicany areas left in california since i think around 2007. Uh, he had before that served in the california legislature for a while before being elected to congress Uh, and has for a very long time had a reputation for not exactly being a policy heavyweight but rather a not-that-smart-but-affable sort of high-school-athlete-popular-kid-turned-guy-who-is-an-expert-at-knowing-who's-ass-to-kiss-when-and-how. Now, all of those qualities actually made McCarthy a prime candidate for leadership in a Republican Party where neither being a policy heavyweight nor having any particular allegiance to anything besides winning more power is actually kind of an asset. As long as one is willing to follow the increasingly crazy wind, whichever crazy way it's blowing. McCarthy has thus been in GOP leadership since I think like barely his second term in Congress. The ironic thing is that in his leadership post in the California legislature, uh, he was in leadership there too, McCarthy pushed the party to be more moderate so that they could actually win stuff in California. But then, when he got elected nationally, at least in public, as I say, he's followed the wind whichever way it's blown, which has increasingly been toward Crazy Town. The fact that McCarthy doesn't really seem to have any clear policy ambitions make it hard to understand why he so badly wants to be Speaker of the House. But it's been common knowledge for like a decade that he really, really, really wants to be the Speaker of the House. He first had his chance uh, to get a hold of that position in Obama's second term when then-Republican Speaker of the House John Boehner got defenestrated by the crazy right-wing fringe of the Republican caucus for not being crazy right enough. But then Kevin put his foot in his mouth. Turns out this actually happened rather a lot. He... (laughs) He really does usually talk like the high school jock in the back of the social studies class who hasn't done the reading when the teacher calls on him. But in this specific case, as he was gearing up to try to get the speakership, he accidentally admitted out loud that the Select Committee on Benghazi, which the Republicans in Congress had set up in a fairly naked attempt to politicize a terrorist attack on the U.S. consulate in Libya by Islamic extremists for the purpose of undermining Hillary Clinton's inevitable presidential candidacy, was, in fact, a fairly naked attempt to politicize a terrorist attack on a U.S. consulate in Libya by Islamic extremists, which the Republicans were doing for the purpose of undermining Hillary Clinton's inevitable presidential candidacy. Quote, I don't want to make that harm Benghazi committee. Unquote. That was Kevin's typically articulate attempt to clean up the mess he'd made. Oops. So he didn't end up getting the speakership during Obama's second term. But based on the public record of news reporting and various insidery books about the time since, McCarthy absolutely did not grow out of his soulless allegiance to nothing besides the pursuit of power for himself and the Republican Party. A few examples. According to leaked audio of a couple of people in Republican House leadership in the year or so before the 2016 presidential election, McCarthy said out loud that he thought that both Trump and one famously pro-Putin member of Congress were being paid by the Russians. That didn't stop him, though, from fully supporting Trump when he got the nomination. Uh, In fact, he apparently was far less uh, troubled, shall we say, by some of Trump's flaws than were really any other of the members of the Republican leadership team at the time. You may remember that a month or two before the 2016 election, Trump's candidacy was almost derailed by leaked audio of him bragging about being able to, uh, grab women against their consent. Because, <clears throat> let's see if I can still do this. When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything you want. Now, most high level elected Republicans at the time kind of tried to back away from Trump at that point because presumably they decided that in the Republican party, rape is cool as long as you're famous, isn't really a great message. Not Kevin, though. He apparently was basically just appalled at the fact that the party wasn't strongly supporting Trump enough as the nominee. When Trump then did in fact get elected, Kevin put those well-honed ass-kissing skills to work in a way that even the other famously invertebrate congressional Republican leaders couldn't quite bring themselves to. McCarthy famously had staffers go buy a bunch of starbursts so that he could put together a jar of just the red ones, which are apparently Trump's favorites. Side note, red starbursts are terrible. If you didn't already know that Trump was a sociopath by the fact that he apparently eats his steaks well done and with ketchup, this knowledge about his starburst preferences really ought to be all the proof you need. Before long, Trump and McCarthy were way closer than Trump was to probably anyone else in Republican congressional leadership and called McCarthy, "my Kevin." When Republicans lost the House in the 2018 midterms and then Republican Speaker Paul Ryan retired entirely from Congress, uh, leadership of the Republican House Conference fell to Kevin McCarthy, who continued to have a very close relationship with Trump. But then, two years ago, it looked like Trump and my Kevin were going to break up because, as I mentioned, two years ago today, a horde of angry Trump supporters violently attacked the Capitol building with the clear intention of lynching a whole bunch of the people inside of it. My Kevin was understandably, pretty startled to look out the window and see all this and called Trump screaming at him to call off the attack, to which Trump apparently replied, Well, Kevin, I guess they're more upset about the stolen election than you. Now, as I mentioned at the top, more than a hundred Congress people, even after this, voted not to certify the election. My Kevin among them. That being said, though, there was some evidence that McCarthy might have been having a change of heart. First of all, He gave a speech on the House floor saying that Trump was at least kind of responsible for the attack. Later, there was more leaked audio that makes it seem like my Kevin was ready to go back to just being Kevin. Gotta say, this poor guy, with all the bad luck he's had with leaked audio, this guy's going to spend the rest of his life checking to see if people around him are wearing a wire. He said to Liz Cheney and various other then-members of the Republican leadership team that he thought Trump should resign, maybe they should impeach him, maybe various other consequences should happen. I should note... This was taking place during the few shining days when it looked like maybe, maybe, the Trumpist fever in the Republican Party might break in the wake of January 6th. But then, within just a couple weeks, the winds appear to have been starting to shift again. It seemed to be turning out that the base of the Republican Party is in fact totally cool with terrorism, as long as it's their own side doing it. Kevin is never one to take a principled stand and still clearly was hoping that he'd be able to become Speaker of the House one day, probably after the 2022 midterms when the party that last lost the White House usually does well, as I've discussed in the last couple of episodes on here. So, after Trump sends, in McCarthy's own words, mob rioters to attack the Capitol, McCarthy puts his tail between his legs and... Goes on down to Mar-a-Lago a few weeks after the attack on January 6th to get back on the uh, to get back to the important business of kissing Trump's ass, uh, figuring that this was probably the safest route to maintaining leadership in the now feverishly insane GOP House caucus. While there, McCarthy takes an awkward photo op with Trump, which more than anything else is the snowball that launches the avalanche of Trump's rehabilitation within the Republican Party to the point where he's now declared his candidacy for the 2024 elections. Hey, side note, before we go on with the episode, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, go do it. That way you don't miss an episode, and also it really helps with the whole algorithm thing to get the show into more people's podcast feeds. (laughs) I would be wrong if I didn't also say in this little interlude that leaving a rating and a review and sharing the link to the podcast on social media would also have that effect. So if you feel like doing me a favor, please go do those things. Okay. Now, I said at the beginning of this episode that this January 6th chaos, unlike that of two years ago, is hilarious. And it is if you like schadenfreude, and I sure do, at least in the case of my Kevin McCarthy. Here's why. As I gloated about, I think two episodes ago, the huge, epic Republican red wave midterm victories that many took for granted this past November didn't really materialize. That said, the Republicans did manage to pick up nine seats in the House, nine out of the 60 or so that my Kevin had loudly predicted, which is enough to win a majority. A majority that can be counted on one hand, yes, but, you know, who's counting? Except everyone. So, my Kevin McCarthy spent the last two years, okay, realistically a lot more than just the last two, debasing himself before extreme right loons whose views he probably doesn't fully share. Catering to Trump, a man who did not give a flying f- God, I want to swear on this- I need to decide on a policy on that. Catering to Trump, who did not care at all that McCarthy's own life could have been in danger because of his deranged supporters' attack on the Capitol. Catering to certifiable lunatics, like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene or Paul Gosar, to name a few, and braindead high school dropouts like Representative Lauren Boebert. And why was this adult human being willing to do all of this really humiliating stuff? Well, so that when the Republicans finally took back the House, he... My Kevin Owen McCarthy, would finally get to be called Speaker, My Kevin Owen McCarthy. But it turns out that for about 20 members of his own caucus, years of slavish, embarrassing ass-kissing to the extreme right is not enough to make them want to support him as Speaker. On top of it all, even after everything My Kevin did for Trump, what was Trump's contribution at the start of this debacle? We'll see what happens. I should say, he has since endorsed McCarthy in a typically misspelled, miscapitalized post on the weird little rinky-dink social media platform he set up after he got kicked off Twitter. But this doesn't seem to have actually swayed any of the holdouts, one of whom then turned around and nominated Trump himself for Speaker and then kind of insulted him on Twitter. So just a procedural note, the first order of business in a new term of the House of Representatives is to elect a Speaker. After that, the other representatives are officially sworn in and business begins. The thing is, the Speaker of the House is elected by a majority of the entire 435-member House of Representatives. If no one can get 218 votes on the floor in the House, no one is elected Speaker, and they just keep right on voting until somebody does. Although Mike Evans certainly has the support of the majority of the Republicans in the House, simply having the majority support of one's own party is not enough. Necessarily, and no Democrats are gonna vote for him. Now, knowing this, McCarthy has spent weeks trying to make deals and making really incredible concessions to the most wild-eyed crazies in his caucus, but apparently to no avail, because, as I said, about 20 Republican Congresspeople simply will not vote for him. As a result, round upon round of voting is happening in the House and has been over the last several days, in which Representative Hakeem Jeffries, the leader of the Democrats, wins the most votes and just a few shy of winning outright, while Mike Heaven gets 200. And the remaining 20 or so votes are scattered around various of the nuttiest lunatic fringe on the right. He's fed this tiger for years and it still wants to eat him. As of this recording, there have been 13 rounds of voting so far, not since I think before the Civil War, has it taken this long to elect a Speaker of the House. But I don't want to give the impression that this is just like a normal procedure that's lasting a bit longer than usual. No, this simply doesn't happen. It's not done. It's not business as usual. I think it's been almost a century since it's even happened that someone didn't win on the first ballot. Now, there are a couple of ways that this ends. One scenario, which I've been hoping for and think would be interesting and have increasingly seen other vastly more prominent and important commentators than me calling for, would be a scenario where the Democrats convince five sane Republicans to vote for some very moderate compromise candidate, probably a former potty-trained Republican member of Congress. The Speaker, you see, doesn't actually have to be a current member of the House. A number of names come to mind. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Fred Upton, Charlie Dent, Peter Meyer, maybe. Basically... The Democrats could go to any of these people, and five Republicans, and make a deal which says, we will vote for this person on the premise that they will basically be a sane speaker who follows the Constitution, protects democracy, and actually brings bills to the floor, regardless of whether the entire Republican caucus is behind them or not. This would be fascinating to watch. The closest that the U.S. has come at any point that I'm aware of to having at least part of the government be a sort of parliamentary-style coalition situation. This could be A, an interesting and I think positive precedent and B, actually very productive. A second scenario, which seems more likely today than yesterday with McCarthy finally starting to get a little bit closer, is that some combination of the never-Kevin Republicans either vote for him or abstain in exchange for even more concessions from McCarthy. In this scenario, he would become Speaker, but would be a complete hostage to the extreme right fringe of the caucus. To be clear, this would have been the case even if he'd won on the first ballot, but in this scenario, his... I'm trying to think of the right combination of words. Let's just go with his complete impotence as Speaker of the House would be even more evident than it would have been before. Now, on the one hand, this whole thing is funny. No one deserves repeated humiliation in his amoral quest for power than my Kevin McCarthy. There is a reason that Democrats in Congress right now are basically sitting on the other side of the room with popcorn flexing their senses of humor on Twitter, which I think is great. On the other hand, it is also kind of alarming. Congress people who ordinarily serve in intelligence or national security rules aren't getting briefings right now. Half the legislative branch right now officially doesn't exist, and... If this ends via the second scenario that I outlined before, McCarthy would be the weakest speaker in history and the House would, you know, could very well collapse at any moment over the next two years. This is a problem, because there are times when we do in fact actually need the House of Representatives to do stuff. For example, in an earlier episode of the show, I think it was, I want to say it was episode 18. I talked about the potential catastrophe that would occur if the US government at any point fails to raise the debt ceiling, and as a result, defaults on our debt. I'm not going to go into that here, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to that episode, episode 18. It's legitimately scary. After three days and 13 rounds of voting, Kevin McCarthy has been unable even to get his caucus to vote for him as Speaker. And many more Republicans than just the 20 who have been opposing McCarthy's speakership are pretty openly willing to blow through the debt ceiling since the MO for a lot of people in that party at this point, unsubtly, is to blow up the country if a Democrat dare lead its government. Whether or not McCarthy himself thinks that this would be a good idea, he's clearly not gonna be able to get, say, raising the debt ceiling or other important business done you know, around any issue with just Republican votes. And he also knows damn well that if the mere thought of cooperating with Democrats crosses his mind, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert will be field-dressing his carcass on the Capitol lawn while Matt Gaetz gleefully tosses his furniture out the window. In a scenario where my Kevin has to choose between what's good for him and what's good for the country, there isn't a whole lot of suspense. For now, let's keep laughing. He deserves it but I sure hope that smarter legislative minds than mine are putting a lot of time into contingency planning here. All right, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show and don't want to miss an episode, subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using to listen to it. I would also be super grateful if you would like, leave a review, and share it with anyone else you think might get something out of it. As always, I'd like to thank my friend Nate Wright for having produced the podcast artwork and you for listening. Oh yeah, also, Happy New Year. Forgot about that part we